What's up, what's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited that you joined me today because we have a very special guest. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Bacarty. He is a CEO and a vaccine expert and a physician with specialties in internal pulmonary and critical care medicine with a background, oh my gosh, that launched multiple innovative startups that leverage technology and expands and disrupts traditional markets, also focusing on growing a corporate culture that empowers leadership and staff to innovate. Guys, this is going to be so cool. We've got so much to glean from his wisdom today, and I'm excited for you to meet him. So let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. So welcome to the show. Jonathan, it is so exciting to have you here and uh, stoked to be able to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Michael. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, everybody that watches the show knows that we got to start with some backstory always a winding crazy journey quite a road to get to where we're at and i'd love to hear how you made it here and and doing the cool things that you're doing because you got some cool things under your belt and uh, we got to share it with everybody well thanks so much yeah i i started off as a traditional straight arrow um going into medicine going to medical school residency fellowship all that and then subsequently practice clinical medicine and then uh sort of one door opened up another, got into administrative medicine and then entrepreneurship and so forth. Wow. Crazy. What, what made you go into medicine and go that route? I mean, that's a a pretty intense journey. And a lot of times people get into that and they think, okay, I've got this goal. I'm going to head towards like what, what initially started you down that path? Part of it was, um, you know, my dad was a physician and I got to see that growing up and it it kind of appealed to me, this idea of impacting other people's life while you made a living, that combination, seeing it in, in, in real life kind of impressed me when I was in high school and in college. And so it seemed like a natural thing to do. And of course it turned out to be true because this is one of the very few professions that that you can really impact people in a special way. And uh, that was a big allure. And I'm very fortunate to be in that field. And it's obviously paid a lot of dividends in terms of satisfaction and just well-being, knowing that you can at times really impact people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and, a, and a huge impact. I, I know that, uh, and, and a huge responsibility. I, I've uh, been privileged to speak with, uh, a number of different doctors and there's this there's this interesting thing that happens when you get doctor attached to your name all of a sudden there's some huge responsibility and and the weight of that must be incredible when that happens yeah it is it is a responsibility and if you kind of 
put the responsibility and a privilege. So, you know, because responsibility sounds like there's a lot of weight, which of course it is, but then you balance that with what a privilege it is to be able to be in that situation. And that sort of then offsets the weight uh, as it were, because yeah, you got to do, you know, you got to do all the right things and you got to make the right decisions. But then you say, gosh, you know, it's amazing that I'm even in this position to help people. Uh, so it doesn't seem so tough when you kind of look at it that way, because, you know, if you've been well-trained and done your homework, uh, uh, the, the, the actual work itself should be pretty natural and not feel that onerous. Uh, and then you focus on what an honor and privilege it is to be able to be involved in people's lives at that level and hopefully impact them in the right direction. So not only the, the patients, but the families and what have you. So. Uh, impacting lives seemed like such a allure, like I said, when I was younger. And, and I think as I transitioned um, into other aspects of healthcare, um, it became how can I impact even more people in, in terms of their healthcare journey uh, as opposed to just seeing one patient at a time? Are there other things you can do that can also have an impact, but maybe on a bigger scale? Right. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, you you clearly spent a huge amount of time to get to that uh, stage, but you've also done a lot to create and start your own businesses that that you could utilize that knowledge and be able to share and make a greater impact. Talk to us a little bit about some of the businesses that you've you've created and started and and started to put together because that's a lot of people are are happy to get one business to work. Uh, you've done that with a number of businesses. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we started with E7 Health, I think, back in 2009, because um, we were concerned about the state of, believe it or not, adult vaccinations in the United States. The CDC reports there's about 50,000 vaccine-preventable deaths in the United States annually, and we wanted to address that. So we started E7 Health, which specifically focused on adult vaccinations. And our goal was to bring adult vaccinations to the forefront and so we set up an organization and wrote technology and software for it that uh, facilitates adults getting vaccinations. This was actually before COVID. You know, of course, once COVID hit, adult vaccinations became uh, obvious to everybody. But there's a lot of adult vaccinations that people are not aware of, both for work, travel, and general health. Uh, there's some 15 adult vaccinations that most people at some point probably need most or all of them to keep them safe. And so we thought that since nobody was really focusing on that, that we would try to start a clinic that focused on that specifically, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. There's a a lot that changed with the uh, onset of the pandemic and people started to move towards that. You know, like, did you find that the challenge of of people understanding what that was all about increased or decreased with the pandemic? I think overall people's awareness of, of viruses and vaccines obviously became more obvious because prior to that, most people only were familiar with a flu shot, for example, and the flu. Uh, so it has increased awareness and has uh, hopefully increased the role of um vaccine preventable deaths because people don't just die of COVID. You know, they die of pneumonia. If you, you know, if you're older and you haven't had your pneumonia shot, 
uh, as well as, you know, things like your shingle shot. And um, there's a whole host of shots that you need if you travel to Mexico or any developing nations. And that awareness is definitely more keen now than prior uh, prior to the pandemic. Sure, sure. Well, you've started a number of these startups uh, and you've you've taken them through and built them up. And so I know you have a lot of cool wisdom and valuable wisdom to share with our audience about startups. And so uh, I believe one of the things that uh, that you talk about are five key ingredients to making a startup successful. And, and I think a lot of us would love to hear what that's all about. Like what has your experience been and, and what can you share with us about that topic? Yeah. So I, I kind of discussed this also on my podcast and, and as five main ones, but honestly, there's probably 30 or 40 that lessons that you can learn at the beginning of, of, of trying to uh, run an organization. But I, I would say that so you got to start with understanding that um, if you want to run an organization or start an organization, you need to acquire a certain amount of skill sets. Right. Right. And I think one of the mistakes that people make is they think that they are there. They naturally have these skill sets because it was their idea. So they came up with this idea. So obviously they're the best person to run that organization uh, or they're well liked or people like them, people are attracted to them or whatever, which are all needed to be a good leader and run an organization, but it's not going to be enough. You need to literally go out and get skill sets. As I always joke, you know, you wouldn't be able to land a 747 because you're a nice guy, right? You could, you, you, being a nice guy is not going to allow you to go in the cockpit unless you got to get some skills, right? right? And, and I think people think that running an organization or being a CEO are all soft skills that if you get along with people, you're a nice guy and people <laughs> like you, that, that, that people admire you or trust you, that you can be a leader. And that, and by the way, you do need all those things. Right. But on top of it, uh, you need to acquire skill sets on how to be a leader, how to manage people, how to enroll people into, into your vision, how to motivate, how to, uh, you know, put on, you know, press on the gas, pull off the gas. There's a whole host of strategies that if you're starting out and not just assume since it was your idea that you naturally have that skill set and you need to go out and acquire those skill sets. So, sure. <laughs> so I think that would be my first thing to let people know. Then, you know, the second thing is I think people often um, when they're starting a business think that they want to get a differentiators to make their business successful. But I think there's a, a misconception that just providing great customer service is a differentiator. So, so <clears throat> excuse me. So if you start a business and you say, okay, I'm going to do this business and I'm going to really knock it out of the park because we're going to be nicer. We're going to provide more customer service, whatever, which by the way, you should. But that alone, you know, great customer service, customers is not a differentiator in right. in a in the long term, because there's no, there's nothing stopping someone else to show up the next day and provide even better customer service than you. It, it, it's not really something you should build your business around. You absolutely need it, and if you don't have it, you're in trouble. Right. But you, but you do need some other differentiator other than we're open longer hours and we answer the phone more quickly and blah blah blah. Those are you should definitely do all those. 
but when you're starting a business, you've got to think long and hard, like what is the real proposition we're bringing? How are we solving this problem quantitatively differently as opposed to we're just going to do it two notches better than everybody else and that you know then we'll be successful and i guess there are people that somehow get away with that and but they're marginally more successful but if you really want to really make an impact you can't just be incrementally better than all your competition i don't know if that makes sense yeah for sure absolutely well so that's a little bit on the startup end but let's talk about it from for our other listeners that are already established and, mm-hmm. and they've got a company, uh, you talk a little bit about uh, productive culture. And I know that that talking about company culture is sort of a, a buzz, uh, a buzz keyword mm-hmm. these days. A lot of people are talking about creating great company yeah. culture. And especially with the aftermath of the pandemic, people starting to come back to work, uh, you know, and having to entice them to be in the office uh, because they know they can do their job from home now. Mm-hmm. So what have you found in terms of creating company culture that is valuable and, and useful that we can share with the audience and how they can make their company culture better? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think what we do in our organization is we talk about ownership because almost every quality you could imagine, you know, from your team members really comes down to the, that they feel like they own the company. You know, the analogy we give is if you're renting a car versus you just bought the car, you know, how are you, how are you going to treat that car differently, right? If you just buy a new car, you're going to go park it in the corner of the parking lot. So nobody dings it. If you're renting the car, you're going to park it anywhere. Now that doesn't mean you're the person renting the car is treating the car bad. It's just a different mindset. If you feel like, you own it. And so what we try to do in our organizations, we have all our team members try to understand that this is their company, they own it. And what we're looking for is that mentality. And in exchange for that mentality, we're going to treat them like an owner. So it's the quid pro quo. I I think I think it's difficult to ask people to become owners, but then you don't treat them like owners. But getting past that, I think you're only going to be able to get so high so far with you, you know, working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It can only go so far. You need to enroll other people into your vision to have that mentality. And that's a skill set to you need to acquire to how do I get other people uh, to be enrolled into our company in a way where the product that they're putting out wouldn't be any different than if I sold them the company. So if you go to one of your team members and say, well, let me ask you a question. I know you're doing a great job, but if I sold you this company today for a dollar, would you show up tomorrow and give me a different product? And if they say yes, well, like that's the product we're looking for now. You know, as we're looking for that product. But in exchange, if we get that product, then we're going to take care of you professionally, financially, however you want to view it. So I think building culture the first essence of it is, you know, do you have people who are doing a great job, but it's not their company? Or do you have, a, especially in leadership, right. are all your leaders bought in and they feel like it's it's their company? You know, the, the analogy I give is, imagine a pizza shop, right? And they, let's say a pizza shop closes at 5 o'clock and at 4.59, 20 people walk through the door, Okay. Now, what does an employee do at 459? 
what do they say to those 20 people? They say, ah, I'm sorry, we're closing. What does the owner do if 20 people walk in at 4.59? And it's not all, it's not all, it's not about working late or staying longer even. I'm, I'm talking about even if you're working 40 hours a week, there's a certain mentality. Right. That, that, that if you can get that culture where everyone feels they, they, they're part of it. Right. That transform it. And by the way, in my podcast, I go through some strategies through that, but the ultimate strategy is there is there, there there is not like a manual for people to read on how to become an owner. I, the analogy I give is when you buy a new car, nobody gives you a manual on how to treat that car differently than when you rented a car. When you renting when you're renting an apartment and you buy a house, nobody gives you a manual to all of a sudden notice, you know all the things wrong in that house where if you, when you were renting it, you, oh, you didn't notice that plant wasn't doing well, but now that you own it, you, you notice everything. And I think it's that, it's that twisting of, of some knob in your brain where you just say, oh, no, no, er everything here matters to me. And I'm not just in my lane and nothing else matters to me. Of course, and it doesn't mean, again, working more than 40 hours a week or killing yourself, but the time you are there are you treating it as like it's like your kid or you're babysitting someone else's kid? Which, you know, we're all we're all gonna do a good job babysitting someone else's kid. But we all know it's not the same as taking care of your own kid. And I think once that mental transformation can occur, that's when the magic starts. Absolutely. Talk to us a little bit about some of the negotiating skills that you've picked up through the years. Uh, and working in these uh, different businesses that you've created. Uh, I know this is a topic that, that you like to talk about, and, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's so valuable for us as business owners to have these skills because there's so many reasons and, and needs for using it over time. Yeah, negotiating is, again, one of those things that uh, I think people mistake um, being likable or being a nice guy or, or people but as i always tell my team you know and it's a common thing that i'm sure you may have heard of you don't you know you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate so i i think people go into these negotiate go into negotiations and like well i'm we'll try to get something that is fair to us and we deserve it, it sounds like that would be equitable that's not always the case um, in negotiations, especially in, in, when you're first starting out, you often don't have leverage over the people you're negotiating with because you're you're starting out and you're trying to get vendors that are established who may or may not even need you. And so, how do you come at it? So, what I what we do is we prepare for any negotiations. We try to make sure when we go into any negotiation that we can offer them a win for what they're looking for. So if we're gonna be meeting with someone, we do a complete analysis, like what does the win look like for that? What do they need? They need more volume, they need, is more volume gonna make them happy? Is more margins? Is it just, you know, being in our sector is important to them or not important to them? And we, we try to size them up and we also try to understand what it's going to take to, for it to be a win for them, but then we pull back, but what do we need? in terms of our goals and what are things we can live without and what are things that are just deal killers that we must have. And to focus on the deal killer stuff and be prepared to acquiesce and give in if need be 
on stuff that aren't deal killers in exchange for those deal killer things. So we never give up anything just by itself. But if we do say, well, okay, maybe we could, you know, do 90 days. But if we did 90 days, could you do this, which is really important to us? There are other stuff that, you know, I talk about on my podcast also uh, about developing relationships with people you're negotiating with prior to the negotiation to go on their LinkedIn profile, understand who they are, uh, to listen to any material they've put out um, and understand where you have common connections. Because even though negotiations are is business, but it's still humans talking to humans and people, people love to uh, interact with people that they have a sense of connection, whether it's an alma mater, whether it's a charity you've both been on, whether it's a common professional society you've been in, uh, common clients you've had in common. So uh, it's a whole preparation thing that we go through uh, before you walk into negotiations to maximize your chances, um, especially when you're first starting out. I think People think begging and pleading is a negotiation strategy, which, <laughs> which is not, you know, because it's just not going. You're just hoping, oh, maybe they'll be charitable with us. Uh, so, eat, and I just did one podcast on how to negotiate when you when you have no no leverage at all, because then you even need a bigger strategy when you have no when they're holding all the cards. You can't walk in and and beg your and beg and plead your way to a deal often, right? Uh, so even then, uh, there are strategies you're going to have to uh, acquire uh, to be in those situations. That's awesome. I'm just curious, you know, through your journey and through the time learning about this and that topic, like, do you suggest any specific books that would be uh, ideal for that negotiation skill and to, to start building that skill? You know, I've, I've seen a lot of those negotiating books, and I, and of course, uh, they're all really wonderful. I think people, I mean, I, I do a whole series on, on my podcast, but I, I think understanding the other side before you walk in is so key. Sure. And it is, instead of reading books on negotiation, just spend time understanding who you're going to be dealing with know their website inside out, know how many locations they have, know how many states they're in, know who their clients are, know their pricing model that's you know in the public eye, walk in prepared. And I think that alone would be the best advice I would give someone. Yes, you can read those books and listen to my podcast, what have you, but on some level, it's sort of like reading those books is like math 401 or 501. Negotiating 101, 201, 301 is know who you're talking to, spend time. Uh, don't just look at their LinkedIn profile in the waiting room uh, and expect to walk in there and hit it off. Uh, of so be prepared is probably the number one thing I would say before you get to high level negotiating skills. Sure, sure. I love that. You've mentioned your podcast along the way, and and I'd love you to tell the listeners a little bit more about what your podcast is about and and what they can expect to to hear about on the show because uh, maybe some of them could come and listen. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, we love that. I well, our second season actually because I I get these questions so much because I've been on other podcasts where people ask me about the 
how to run a business, how to start a business. And so I decided to, the whole season two uh, to do Crash CEO School. Cool. And we, we talk about different topics that CEOs need to know. You know, how to manage your website, how to manage your SEO, how to negotiate, uh, how to build culture, you know, how to hire, how to fire, common skills that you need. Um, so uh, Crash CEO School Season 2 of Bakhtari MD is on YouTube and, of course, on all the traditional platforms, Spotify, what have you. But our goal with that was not to really uh, talk about any one thing, but talk about the common mistakes that anybody starting in, the, in that role or getting deep in that role will make. Uh, because I made a lot of them. It's funny because one of the whenever I think about the next topic I want to talk about, I, I go back in my mind like, oh yeah, I, w- I wish I knew this. I basically every every topic is the stuff I wish someone would have told me right. when I was starting out. So that's what we're doing with season two, of Bakhtari MD. I love that. Talk to us a little bit more about. Um how people can connect with you uh, besides the podcast and, and what type of cool things you're up to these days and, and what you're uh, working on that, uh, that people can come and connect with you. Yeah. Well, our biggest project that we just launched is e-national testing, which is a nationwide uh, laboratory testing company where people can just go online and get a cholesterol, any kind of laboratory testing, uh, in all 50 states and all major cities. And is, we've sort of made it Amazon-esque where three clicks away and you have your laboratory ordered and you can literally um, go in and get your tests and the results will uh, come back uh, by email or on your portal. Uh, so there's no waiting. There's no, basically it's really like three clicks and you're there. And the whole goal of this is for you to be able to access this kind of information, whether it's your cholesterol, whether it's STD testing, whatever you need. Um, and then you can use that information, take it to your doctor uh, and be, be, have it be part of your healthcare, overall healthcare strategy. We wanted to make that available. I think we have 4,000 laboratory locations across the country, literally in every city, every small to medium town. So it's really no excuse, reducing all the barriers people have to getting a prostate test or a cholesterol test to see where they are. Obviously, it's not a replacement. Uh, we want this to supplement their their uh, ongoing doctor visits and, and use that information to take with them. That's great. What a cool service and what a cool idea to get that moving forward. Uh, you guys can all go check that out. And uh, we're so thankful that you could join us today but before we let you go we want uh some last words of wisdom that you can pass on to us that we can keep in mind as we close out the show today um well i'm gonna go back to the the culture thing just real quickly is um you know we talked about uh having um you know your team members become owners but really i think as a leader you have to remember your job as CEO or as a leader in your organization is really to improve the lives of everyone in your organization, both professionally, financially, and sometimes personally. And I think you can't lose sight of that. I, I think if you do that, uh, the business will prosper. And, and you, obviously, you're going to be wor- worried about the bottom line and growing the business, but not to lose sight that that's also your main job to take care of everyone in your organization. I love that. 
Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. It's always a pleasure uh, to be able to glean your wisdom from your journey and uh, be able to share you with everybody out there. Guys, go check it out. Go check out uh, the cool stuff that he's doing. Check out the podcast and uh, and visit. We'll have all the stuff in the description below so you'll be able to easily get to uh, anything that you are interested in and it shouldn't be a problem. As usual, please don't forget, keep on choreographing your business. It's important. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.